Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. What's up, rock stars? It's Matt Johnson. We're back with another killer episode of the UX Podcast. Thank you guys so much for uh, for listening, commenting, sharing, and uh, rating and reviewing the show. We really appreciate it that everybody that has left a rating and a thoughtful review on iTunes. Just a quick shout out to all of you guys. We appreciate it. And uh, we've got a really great and interesting episode for you today. Uh, Sharon Miller is with us. She's the Managing Director of People Analytics. And we're talking a little bit about a couple of things, recruiting and hiring. And Sharon is really, really interesting. She's based out of, uh, out of Dublin, so you'll notice a, a lovely Irish accent. And uh, one of the things we talked about was really like hiring right the first time and how, how we tend to have this kind of bias that leads us to hire people that we are more uh, likely to have rapport with. Like we'll, we'll come out of the meeting thinking everything is good and awesome and that person's fantastic. And then uh, six months in, you know, a year and a half in or whatever, we'll figure out, oh crap, they weren't the right person for the job. And so what Sharon does is she helps companies uh, avoid that exact scenario among many other things. But that's one of the things that entrepreneurs really struggle with. And so we talk about the kind of the key reason why we struggle to hire the right people in the first place and how we can use metrics and assessments in our hiring process more effective, more effectively to prevent us from those kinds of biases that will lead to us hiring people that we want to have a beer with after work, but don't actually get the job done. And so we're also going to talk about a couple of key indicators of successful team members who stay in the role rather than leaving at the first opportunity. Because this is another big, 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 big issue for entrepreneurs and, and for executives and big companies too, which is we bring on somebody and they kill it, but then they're chomping at the bit to leave six months to a year in because they've, you know, they've come in, they've done a killer job, and now they're ready to move on to the next thing. And I think that's going to be more and more uh, prevalent and pervasive, I guess, just kind of infused throughout the entire economy as more of the economy is made up of millennials that have a little bit less loyalty. Not, not that I think they should have a ton of loyalty to large companies, because uh, most of the time the companies don't have a lot of loyalty for them either. Uh, but I do think that the mentality is shifting where people used to come to and expect to work for a company 5, 7, 10, 15 years. Now, I think the expectation is, is more like two. Uh, and so, uh, if we're looking for somebody who is really willing and able and, and happy and excited to stay in a role for longer than a year, year and a half, we have to look for very specific indicators in their behavior profile um, and their communication style and these things that, that Sharon, her company, helps measure. And that's what we talk about later on in the episode is how, what are some of those things that we can look for where we're more likely to hire someone who's happy to stay in the role and wants to be with us three or four or five years down the line, rather than somebody that comes in and kills it, but then has to be replaced a year from now, which is a big, big issue for all of us. So I know you'll get a ton out of this episode. Let's jump right into the conversation with Sharon. Sharon, officially, welcome. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Delighted <laughs> to be here. Well, I'm pumped to have you here, and uh, we had some some tech issues jumping on, but we persevered, and uh, we're finally able to hang out and chat 
And the reason that uh, that you really jumped out to me, and, and I explained a little bit more about your background and gave you a nice introduction that people have already heard. Um, but what, like, when you when you talk to companies and, and people about what you do, it, it's very unique. There's there's artificial intelligence involved. There's software involved. There's all kinds of things that are kind of backing up what you're doing. How do you describe to people kind of what you do? Well, in in a, in a nutshell, Matt, um, we primarily work with HR directors and chief executives of organisations. Mm. And what we do is we we help HR and we help managing directors make better people decisions using an evidence base. Mm-hmm. So that could be across um, any any process area of HR, mm-hmm. right through from recruitment, through to onboarding an employee, through to employee development, uh, through to engagement and retention, succession planning. So it could be anything really. So mm-hmm. so we start with you know first of all understanding. Look, you know what what is the the problem that you're looking to resolve. So we start there. Yeah. Or not, it may not be a problem. Maybe they want to, they're doing really well in a particular area and they want to optimize or enhance that as well. Mm-hmm. We always start with, look, what's your goal? Mm-hmm. What, what, what are the results that you're looking to achieve? And then we reverse engineer from there because, you know, as you can imagine, HR is a very broad area. Yeah. So in a nutshell, we use evidence um, to, to support making better people decisions. Very cool. Uh, so, so when you look at, uh, well, let me back up before I say that to say this, which is that that's great advice for any anybody who's an executive or an entrepreneur. If you're an expert, if you are bringing somebody onto your team, whether it's full time employee, whether it's part time, or even if you're paying a vendor who you're going to work with as part of your system to produce results for clients, uh, always starting with the end of mind and reverse engineering what you want is a much better way to start. Uh, I feel like a lot of people tend to hire because they like the person and they get along on a personal level. And then, then maybe they look at how good they are. And then that's about as far as we typically go. Uh, I literally just talked to somebody yesterday who built his entire first team up to 13 people that way, mostly by hiring friends. Wow. How did that work out? <laughs> Not well. So, self-admittedly, he's like crashed and burned, crashed and burned. Uh, and that's what a lot of us do. We, we hire the people that we would love to have to go have a beer with after work. And that's, and there's nothing wrong necessarily with, with wanting to hire people that we want to be around. But uh, yeah. we, you know, we're going to resonate with the people who are similar personality styles to us. That's usually not the best fit for the for the job, and so when you say evidence based, what kind of evidence do you guys look to to help people make better decisions? Well, look, uh, Matt. Before before I get into that, I, I really like the example that you've given. I, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people, and I think it's a it's a very typical example. And um, there, there's a there's a reason why people tend to hire that way. You know, even even some well seasoned managers still yeah. take that approach. The issue is to do with a, a thing called cognitive bias okay. that all humans, human beings have. And we're just, we're just hardwired this way, right? <laughs> we, we tend to want people around us that are like us or that make us feel good, for example. Yep. Um, and that goes back actually to old tribal stuff when we are assessing, you know, who to bring into the tribe, whether they're going to enhance the tribe or whether they're going to, you know, cause <laughs> yeah. uh, problems in the tribe, right? We have to yeah. make really snap decisions. And it's part of kind of our intuitive makeup, you know, um, as human beings to operate that way. 
The hmm. only issue with that in, in a modern day environment is it's too complex. The environment that, that we're operating in um, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as HR directors, it's too complex. So we can't make those gut feel um, intuitive decisions because they just may not be appropriate. Um, so, so that's why we recommend using an evidence base alongside your current, uh, let's say, for example, in your example, recruitment uh, process. So we don't advocate, you know, um, not using your intuition because we recommend, look, if you've got a lot of experience in a particular area, by all means, bring that, bring that to bear in, in the process. But stress test your thinking. Mm. Yeah. From evidence. Okay. So what, so what we found is that most helpful is that you 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 would um, you would go through your normal provided I'm assuming it's a it's a well structured process. So let's just make that basic assumption that it's a well structured interview uh, process. Uh, looking at recruitment, for example. So what we recommend is look, you know, go through the general process. Uh, you know. Uh, Make sure that you're attracting the brightest and the best or really good candidate strategy. And then you might do some uh, telephone uh, screening, uh, interviewing, and then you bring them along to the assessment process where, where you're getting some evidence around the role. And I'll give you an example of that. There's a, there's a, a job actually I was talking to a client just yesterday. And... Um, he he was he was echoing exactly exactly what you just said. You know, I, I don't want to make the mistake of hiring somebody because they're like me or because I like them. This is a really crucial, critical role for the organization. I want to make sure that that we get it right. So I took him through a whole process of identifying um, what are the what I call the, the critical uh, behaviors and abilities that are acquired in this role. And let's get really detailed about that and crystal clear um, mm. on that and be objective about that. So we look at, uh, at two pillars. One is uh, the IQ of the individual and the EQ of the individual. This for any role. Yeah. So the, the IQ would be the, skill, the skills part of the job. So what is required in terms of the hard skills of the job? Yeah. Yeah, and then the the EQ part is what 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 is the the behaviors or what what is the attitude that we're looking for from this individual that's going to make them a good fit for this role, but also for the team and the organization. Right. And we look at that holistically, and then that becomes our blueprint for recruitment, and um, when we're assessing. Uh, uh, potential candidates for the job instead okay. of defaulting into a uh, potential bias that we might have or whether we yeah. like them, you know, um, or whether they're familiar to us or we have something in common, all of these biases that can run. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that. We're looking at the blueprint. We're looking at the objective um, requirements of the job. And um, just to give you an example of how this works, what came out of that discussion was really interesting because this uh, managing director, really successful business, um, he, he's built a really good system. So we were talking a little bit earlier about systems. Mm -hmm. He's built a really good system in his business um, for um, ordering supplies. It's a, it, it's, a mar it's a marketing distribution company. Okay. Uh, system is ordering supplies and then you know really quick uh, supply order uh, in invoicing and then quick quick distribution to the client so there's all these systems procedures and processes in place and the new employee that comes in has to 
want to work in structure and quite a quite a high level of structure. Mm. So we looked at one trait. And this is this is, this will give you an example of how this works. We looked at one trait, right, which is called tolerance of structure. So this individual has to have a high tolerance for following rules, schedules, and procedures, and the most important part, created by somebody else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is where that is so good. Interesting, yeah. Yep. Because if we, we get uh, ca- uh, candidates, and this is just one trait out of six of, of the essential traits for the job, and I'm just giving, giving you a quick example. Mm-hmm. So if we get a candidate that is, is low on scale of one to ten on talents for structure, we know straight away. Yep. So I had a call here if, if we uh, bring this individual on board. They're just not going to fit in with the organizational culture and um and that's just for that organization but every organization is different yeah i mean some some are built for the fact that like they they kind of need entrepreneurs at every level because maybe they're bad at creating structure and they need somebody to create that structure um i'm the opposite i'm i'm someone that doesn't want to live in anybody else's structure but i'm i'm really good at creating them for other people and so, so my team has to be okay with the fact that, look, I'm going to build the system. Like you don't have any, you know, like I'm going to bring you in and we're going to help build it together and things like that. But at the end of the day, like I decide what goes into the structure and the system, and then they have to be happy working within that for various reasons of their own. And as much as I would love to surround myself with mini mats, uh, that would be terrible for everyone involved. Now, yeah. thank God I figured out the, the hard way by being someone else's mini mat in my previous, in my last job where in my last agency where I worked for somebody else that had like, we have very, very similar skill sets and very similar drivers. And so it was like having two people trying to be in the driver's seat and nobody wanted to be in the passenger seat. And now we're great friends and he's a client now. So it all worked out in the end. But what, what really happened was that I had to take a, I had to put my personality on the back burner to fit in somebody else's environment. And so it wasn't ideal for me. It was great for him, not not so hot for me. And I don't want to put somebody else in that position because just like I ended up leaving and starting my own thing, it's only a matter of time. If I hired a bunch of mini-me's, it'd only be a matter of time before they go out and start their own thing. Um, now, I want to create opportunity for people. I don't want to create an environment where they're unhappy and they leave because they feel stifled. And mm-hmm. and that's where I think having having that just understanding whether somebody operates well in their own structure that they create versus operating in somebody else's structure, that's a huge key distinction that I think a lot of us overlook when we hire people. Because uh, I know a lot of people that are very good at building a business, building a system that other people can plug into, but then they hire people that are like them who are also good at building business and building structure. They're not interested in plugging into somebody else's. Uh, so that, yeah, that's that's a huge, huge... Well, I mean, let me ask you this. How do you... Uh, how do you screen for that? How do you? How does something like that come out in the interview process? So, h- how we would screen for that is um, we 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 would we would actually get we'd have to dig into the detail a little bit around mm-hmm. exactly what the role involves. So, for example, just based on what you've just said, if you're looking for somebody that. Let's say you're recruiting somebody onto your team that needs to fit into a structure, for example, that you've created. Yeah, mm-hmm. they would need to. We would. They would need to have specific behavioral traits. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background around how this works before I dive into the process of how you would actually do that, because I think it's important that you understand um, 
how this how this the mechanics of how this works. From mm-hmm. so that, everybody has beha- what what we call behavioral DNA. So you have you have a unique you have a unique thumbprint. You have a unique retina print. And you have unique behavioral DNA, which is the, the, the behavioral patterning in your in your brain, which is your personality, right? Which is to you. The issue is when we're recruiting, um, we don't see that because it's inside the person. Yeah. But what this process is about is is it's about revealing and putting on the table and making visible the behavioral patterning that's running in the in the individual that you want to bring into your organization. Hmm. Okay. And so when we start to see the behavioral patterning of that individual, then you can start to see very quickly whether or not it's a match to the, the, the role that you've created or not. So now let's take your example. So you want uh, an individual, I mean, this is just high level stuff, right? But you want an individual that's going to um, fit into a structure or system that, that you've created and basically be very happy and content to be in that role and not not try to be the leader, not try and take autonomy, not try and have too much initiative. You've got a specific job you want them to do and you want them to be content in that job. So we would look at traits such as tolerance of structure, for example. Mm-hmm. Do they have a tolerance of structure? Yep. So tolerance of structure is following rules, procedures created by you. You know, if that person on that one one trait, one behavioral trait, is a three or a four in terms of tolerance of structure, well, that's a red flag for straight away, isn't it? Yeah, yeah totally. And, and so that's just one. And we would probably look at, I would have to dig into the role, we'd probably look at about six or seven essential traits that they would need to be on a scale of one to 10 or around a 7.5 to an eight for your mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And then we would map those and then they would be assessed against those. And we have some desirable ones following underneath that as well. Mm-hmm. So another one might be... Um, Another one might be related to once once autonomy. Okay. So we we could look at what we could look at the trait once once autonomy and see do they actually want a lot of autonomy in the job? And again, that depends on the job. Do you want them to follow instructions? Or are you happy for them to to uh, figure out and you know car, carve their own path in the mm-hmm. role? Yeah. So, well, and it kind of depends on what kind of autonomy they want. I mean, my, my operations director is a great example because we have systems built for him. And, and then when there's a new system that needs to be built, we build it somewhat together. Um, but he works from home and we get together literally once every couple of months. We actually hang out in person and the rest of the time we meet virtually twice a week. And so he has a lot of, I would say, physical and mental autonomy as yeah. long as the systems are followed. So it's, it's an interesting kind of blend. You have to dig into what, what does autonomy mean to them because exactly. it means different things to different people. Exactly. And this is, and this is, where, the, this is where the rubber hits the road. You know, the, the devil is in the detail. Yeah. But from what you described, I mean, we haven't sat down and gone through the job properly. I mean, obviously, there, there's a lot of information that I would ask from, from yeah. you first. But like straight away, you know, with the role that you've just described, like you're looking for, you're looking for somebody who's, you know, uh, is going to be quite strong in terms of following systems. So mm-hmm. they have to 
joy following systems following processes following procedures and that's the kind of the main tasks of the job so we would do a bit of um analysis around what are the main tasks of the job and then we would look at the the environment we would look at a number of different factors and we'd look at you um as as their manager and and then we i call it alignment this i i find okay. this 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 really helpful concept how aligned are they to the tasks of the job and how aligned are they to the team that they're moving into and then the organizational environment that they're going to find themselves in it takes a particular type uh, personality and um, I, I shouldn't say say personality type but I should just be more specific and say a particular set of behavioral traits right. to work autonomously actually because yeah. some people are very social animals they like coming into the office they like yeah. that buzz etc others don't they like the peace and quiet they like you know ha- having that autonomy and flexibility so if, if that makes sense we're, we're looking at points of alignment Matt uh, in the role in the team that they're moving into and in the organizational culture, the way, the way you want things to be set up. Yeah. I, I like that. And I, I use the word uh, alignment in, in other cases. And I like, I like the use of it here because it makes a lot of sense, but uh, yeah, I mean, alignment is incredibly important, both in terms of the clients that we work with, making sure that they're aligned and that the path that they're on is aligned with where, our service helps to get people because if those two things don't match up, <clears throat> good intentions aside, they won't be good. They won't have a good experience as a client. So they have to be aligned with the journey that we want to take them on. Um, the incentives of how we like to reward people has to be aligned with how they want to receive rewards. And so, yeah, there's a lot of areas where I think that, that we can overlook that. If we're not specifically looking out for it, we tend to overlook alignment and we look at rapport and we look at all the, and the, we revert back to the, the cognitive biases that we talked about earlier. And I think focusing on alignment and asking that, I mean, that's a very powerful question. Just how aligned are they to the tasks and the culture that, that we have in the team already? How are they going to fit into that? Because you're 100% right. There are people who are absolutely social animals and they literally will not enjoy the environment we want to put them in, which in, in my world, a lot of times that's working from home and then reporting in by video call and phone call. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are just not like, they, they think they might want that or they're interested or they're open to trying it. And then they mm-hmm. get into it and they realize they don't like it. They would rather go into an office and that, and that's cool, more power to them. That doesn't work out here in, in the world that I run in of, of virtual teams. You yeah. have to have somebody who enjoys the autonomy of working from home uh, and maybe have some entrepreneurial tendencies, but a little bit of a, uh, let, tell, tell me about a little real quick, um, the role of risk. Do you guys look at risk tolerance as one of the indicators across um, uh, when you bring somebody, especially at an, at an executive level? Uh, what, what do you guys think about in terms of risk? Uh, specifically the, the trait, risk tolerance, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, so the, t- the risk tolerance of a candidate, does that play a part? So what's, give, give me some context because that, that's... Mm. So, so here's what happens a lot in my world. Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one, a lot of my friends run, I would say, businesses where they are supervising and managing and recruiting service professionals who could go out and do these things on their own if they want to. But a lot of the people that, that are in my world can provide them a structure that they can plug into that will get them results faster. But once they get the results, they have the option of going out and doing it on their own. And so a lot of times what they're looking for is they're looking for people who could potentially do it on their own. They have the hard skills, 
But when it comes to the behavior traits, they're not as risk tolerant. And so they're less likely to immediately take the skills they've learned or built and go out and do it on their own. For example, they would rather be in a team environment than a lone wolf. Um, so I have a higher risk tolerance as, as do most of my friends who are in the executive or entrepreneurial world. That's just like, we just have a higher tolerance yeah. for risk and pressure right? The people that don't can be awesome within our organizations and they're awesome to bring on to our teams because they have all the skills, but if they don't have that risk tolerance, they're not jumping at the bit to go out and start their own company. So that's why I'm here. That's the context that I ask. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. And what what I would say, what I would say in response to that is let's get, let's get clear in the definition of risk tolerance then from a bit, from a behavioral Point of view and how, how would we measure that? Mm-hmm. So, risk tolerance really is the tendency to feel comfortable with business ventures that involve uncertainty. Okay. So, the 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 the, the fast answer to that is yes, we can measure that. Yeah. That is that is a specific behavioral trait, and. It's it's one really key behavioral trait in in, entre, in entrepreneurial DNA. Okay. Um, and and one's autonomy is another one. Okay. So I I I I would argue from what from what I've seen, um, is that entrepreneurs have specific successful ones, right? Have okay. specific behavioral DNA. Okay. That have key things in them that just separate them from you know the herd you know the, the normals yeah, yeah Maybe I, the, I, the I sane people agree. Do <laughs> <we know>? <laughs> <laughs> yes we do <laughs> you know like risk tolerance high risk tolerance is, is, is one of them and mm. um, uh, the other one is wants autonomy, and you know you, you, you've you've actually got to you, you've got to want challenge as well and you've got to want to take the initiative, and you've got to want to persevere. And I mean, that's just five off the top of my head. If you're not really high, and I mean really high, 7.5 or 8 on those traits that I just mentioned, you know. Not, maybe, maybe entrepreneurialism is not the game for you. For you. It's, got, yeah. it's, got, it's got to be tricky because, yeah. as we know, as entrepreneurs, you know, and resilience is another one. Persistence, mm-hmm. resilience, taking the initiative, because you're going, you're going to be getting out there. You're going to get pushback after pushback after pushback. And have you got the self? It really tests you. Have you got the self belief? Have you got the energy? Have mm. you got the resilience? Have you got the persistence? Have you got the risk tolerance yeah. to, you know, to push through when those barriers come? And 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 their traits, their their that's behavioral mm. DNA. And some individuals have it as their natural orientation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why uh, you hear, you know, certain individuals say, oh, "Look, this is my oxygen. I just can't see myself doing anything else." You know, if I couldn't be an entrepreneur, if I if I uh, was told tomorrow that I, I I wasn't able to do what I'm doing, I would just feel as though I'm in prison if I had to, you know, be you know, go into a bank teller job or something like that. All <laughs> the bank tellers out there. But, um, yep. It's great for people that have the DNA that want customer service and everything, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not judging here. Everybody's different is what I'm saying. Yep. Um, but, you know, on this point of entrepreneurship, I, I really would love to do, a, love to do a, um, a deeper study on it because I think it's super interesting. But the short mm. answer is yes. Yes, there are certain behavioral traits that you absolutely need. And yes, 
they can be measured. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the judgment because there, there is a lot of that, I think in the entrepreneurial community, uh, the tendency to judge and look down on personality types and behavior traits that are not entrepreneurial. The ideal, I think a lot of people, when we get into business for ourselves is we want to hire a lot of other, other entrepreneurs because we like being around people that are hard charging, high risk tolerant, okay with uncertainty, resilient, persevere, you know, all those qualities that we imagine that we have, and maybe we do have, and that's awesome. Um, but there's nothing wrong with other behavior traits and other behavioral DNA. So I think it's, it's important that we recognize that, that a lot of times the roles that we actually need to fill in our organizations or our team, whatever that structure might be doesn't need to be all mini me's and we just have to really build a really good blueprint for what that is and go out and find that person uh, and then recognize that whatever behavior DNA needs to be in that position is okay for that position. And there's no judgment attached to that just because they're not like the entrepreneur that's at the, or the executive that's at the top. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And what I would say is, you know, I think that there's a lot of, let's take, for example, Facebook as an organization. Mm. You know, if you're number three in Facebook, right, and you're in a role that you enjoy and you're super strong in that role and you're making a good salary, I think that's fantastic. You know, like the, 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 the world of entrepreneurship is, is very broad. Not every entrepreneur is a multimillionaire, right? That's right. <laughs> You've got, you know... You've got, you know, the organic farmer down the road. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, yep. I think what's happening now is that there's this culture, and I think it's dangerous, actually. I think that there's this culture now which says it's cool, it's hip to be an entrepreneur, you know. Um, but the reality of entrepreneurship yeah. is that's where the rubber hits the road, you know. Yep. Um, I think it, it requires... It requires so much. It requires talent. It requires uh, a certain type of behavioral DNA and uh, skill set and experience and, and so much to to make it. But equally, my my view is a very objective one. That I'm all about. Are you happy in here? That's mm. it. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur, bank teller, number two on Facebook, whatever it is. Are you set in here? Are you waking up every day, doing what you love, tap dancing to work, you know, being in an environment that you enjoy and you're happy in your life. You've clicked, you've found it, you've found your groove. And I think that, I think that's, that's the key rather than a title. That's, that's what I would say. Agreed. hundred percent. Well, if somebody wants to work with you and really dig into this for their organization, or if they're a high level entrepreneur who's looking for that, that really key role that needs a lot of attention and could determine the success of their business for the next five or 10 years, how do they connect and learn more about you and what you guys do? Sure. Um, well, they, they can connect through my website. My website address is www.workhuman.ie and they can jump on there to the contacts page and just drop us a note and, and we'll come back within 24 hours usually. We'd be delighted to hear from you. Very good. All right. Well, I want to honor your time as much as I would love to go like really dig into some of the behavioral DNA of entrepreneurs and executives. Maybe we'll have you back and do that another time because that would be an awesome conversation. But this has been huge. And I know there's a lot of uh, really great takeaways for everyone in the audience. IQ versus EQ, creating a blueprint for the roles, behavioral DNA, risk tolerance, all the stuff that we talked about. So guys, go out and implement this. Make sure to connect with Sharon. Go to her website, uh, dig into all the material that she has there. Uh, and Sharon, thanks again so much. This was awesome. 
Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done-for-you podcasting service. Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing, and I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine and we'll see you on the next episode.